It's Ariella, your hostess. Welcome back to a podcast of Curious Minds. The chit-chatting and questioning the world podcast discusses all wonders of the world. How do nuclear power plants work? And what's the benefit of using nuclear power? Are there risks that are involved? In the past, we've seen them to be quite dangerous. We've all heard of the Chernobyl and the Fukushima Japan disaster. Andy Baez, who has been operating nuclear power plants ever since his time in the Navy and is currently disassembling power plants, answers these questions. We also play a game of two truths and one lie, nuclear power edition. Oh, thank you, Ariella. Like I said, I was in the Navy. I did spend several years uh, operating nuclear submarines for the, the U.S. Navy. Operated those for about seven years. I'm doing two different utilities and operating in the commercial nuclear power industry for about 15 years now. I am licensed by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to operate nuclear power plants. I have the responsibility to make electricity using nuclear power and also to shut it down and stop making electricity and put it in safe condition whenever there's an emergency. Thank you. So, the atomic bomb. Humanity's first introduction to nuclear power. In 1938, scientists discovered nuclear fission by slamming an atom of uranium with a neutron, which divided into two and released a large amount of energy. Not only was an abundance of energy released, but up to three neutrons were ejected as well. This can trigger further fission reactions of more atoms, so more energy is released. A chain reaction, just like knocking one domino over and watching the rest fall. During World War II, America used the same technology to create the first atomic bomb. But only in 1955 did these same principles become used to create a nuclear power plant that generates electricity. In the 1970s, psychologists started to map people's anxiety. Yuck only started. These anxieties were of nuclear power plants since they had been popping up all around the world during this time. The 1979 thriller China Syndrome was about a nuclear reactor meltdown. And just 22 days later, a real reactor meltdown happened at Three Mile Island, Pennsylvania. Talk about predicting the future. Yikes. So enough background. A nuclear power plant makes electricity without releasing any harmful byproducts, like carbon dioxide, that are harmful to the atmosphere. What is a nuclear power plant, Andy? How does it work? Nuclear power plant uses radioactivity to generate heat. And that heat boils water, and we turn a steam turbine, and that steam turbine turns a generator. That steam makes electricity. Burning natural gas or nuclear power or coal operate on the same principles. Take heat, put it hotter, and turn it into steam, and that steam turns a turbine. That turbine makes the generator go round. Back generators are typically operate around, they make uh, one revolution every 30 revolutions every second. So they go pretty fast, a lot of energy. So heat turns this turbine around, around, and that creates electricity. Exactly. And we attain this heat from smashing the uranium atom with the neutron, as we said earlier, and then that heat spins that turbine, and that turbine produces electricity, which is greenhouse gas-friendly because there's no byproducts released that are harmful to the atmosphere. And uh, here's a good analogy. If you ever played pool, you have the big triangle of pool balls on the pool table, right? Your neutron that you started with is your white cue ball. And we basically eject a neutron into that pile of basic bonds and protons, which is that uranium atom. It's a large, unstable atom. And the neutron will force that uranium atom to eject and split up into different particles. 
And those particles will interact with other pockets of neutrons and protons and other uranium atoms, and they'll cause that chain reaction. We contain that chain reaction in called a fuel pellet, which is specifically designed to operate up to 5,000 degrees. There's multiple layers of containment around that entire structure to, to keep all the radioactive uh, particles contained so that uh, we keep the business of radiation on site and just uh, to make electricity, nothing more. So obviously when we talk about it, it seems very simple, but it's extremely complex. How much energy can each power plant release? I heard that one can release enough to power a whole city. Is that true? I'll give you an analogy. Um, New Jersey has three nuclear power plants. They generate about 3,500 megawatts of electric capacity. But that's not really what I want you to get. They about have about 8 million people in New Jersey, and 95% of their power comes from nuclear power plants. And there are three of them. That's right. Wow. So as someone who operates nuclear power plants on a daily basis, what kind of work does it involve? My job is very typical of any most other workers in an industrial environment. However, we do have higher security standards than most places, kind of like going through an airport. We have similar type of security protocol there. Actually, it's harder to get on a nuclear power plant, much harder to get on a nuclear power plant than it is to get on an airplane. Pretty much, we uh, go on shift, do our turnovers, and we continue on with the daily work that's planned for that day. And then we operate the plant to make sure it's safe for people to operate and do the maintenance. And then we try to maintain power at 100% power and continue with the business, buying as much electricity as we can. For the most part, we spend 12 hours a day boiling water and washing the turbine make electricity. How would you know? I know you said, like, we see if it's safe or not. How do you yourself know if the nuclear power plant is safe? Part of the training program for a nuclear plant operator, typically from 18 months to 24 months in duration. During that training program, you basically learn what every system does. Walk around the plant and look at any valve, any pipe, any component, and know what it does. I know the exact name, but you know what the purpose of it is. And you also spend time in what's called a simulator, where we pull mock-up of the control room, kind of like the pilot's chair in an airplane. And uh, But there, you sit down with your team, and you operate the power plant through a series of transients, some more extreme than others, and some beyond the sign basis of the plant's design for. We have scenarios to emulate the accident at Three Mile Island, like you mentioned earlier. We also have scenarios that emulate and incorporate the lessons learned from Fukushima. And uh, we have scenarios to emulate all kinds of industry experiences all across the globe, anywhere in between. Try to create credible accidents and even try to create sometimes uncredible accidents. The reason is we want to make sure that we're prepared and well-trained and we have a good process to deal with the unexpected. That's the training portion. During the operation cycle, once you have your license certified by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the end, you go through about an exam that takes about two weeks. After all that's done, they take about a month to grade everything, and they'll let you know whether you passed or failed. After uh, you get that, go ahead from the regulatory commission to operate. You are on shift and learning to do your job on a day-to-day basis without it falling apart. Part of that training process is you look up into a nuclear power plant, and each panel might have 24 to 50 alarms. It might be 15, 20 panels. There might be as much as 350 to 400 different alarms that come in. As an operator, you should be able to know what each alarm means and have a good idea of um, what next in the case of the alarms are more serious than others. Some alarms are informational only. 
one has its own procedure and process to go down and to mitigate. That's what we try to do is learn how to operate and how to respond just in case we get a series of alarms and understand. I know you mentioned that um, now we can simulate destruction events like the Fukushima accident and the one at Three Mile Island. I mean, that sounds great because I know, obviously, when first starting to use these power plants, they were a threat to a lot of people. People were nervous. But that really shows that we've come so far with progress, improving our technologies. So I'm sure that as time goes on, using these nuclear power plants, will be able to use them in an even safer way. So I'm hopeful that we can really use more of these because it's eco-friendly. And looking at the different types of power plants, is there one that's more useful than another? Are there different types that certain areas use? Or is there one sort of standard nuclear power plant that everyone around the world uses? That's a great question. There are different types of nuclear power plants, and it's really dependent on the culture and or political climate of the country. Design for a reactor in the United States is what's called a light water pressurized reactor. That is, it uses just H2O, no more H2O water, and it burns out over the course of a fuel cycle, which is 18 to 24 months, depending on the type of reactor there is. Other types used in the, throughout the world are different. In Canada, they have what's called a heavy water reactor, a deuterium reactor, and we also have breeder reactors. We have several. We had several in the United States as part of uh, our earlier projects, but not all of them are pretty much out of service. The reactors are designed to make atomic fuel so that uh, you know you can make uh, atomic weapons. None of those are in service in the United States outside of military installations. But uh, an example of one of those reactors is uh, Chernobyl. That was a breeder reactor. So all of these nuclear power plants, although they're different, they all use some sort of atom that collides with a neutron to produce energy, all of them? For the most part, they all use uranium as the, um, the fuel. Sometimes we'll turn that uranium into plutonium, and that's what a uh, breeder reactor does. It turns uranium okay. into plutonium. When you collect the plutonium, when we have enough of it, we'll, we'll take it out of the reactor and load it into a, a weapon. That is what a breeder reactor does. There are some older designs that use a nuclear prototype called thorium. That's actually from a lot of the studies show that it's a safer, more stable fuel. One of the issues was it had a low power density compared to uranium, so it's not prevalent. So I'm bringing back the games. In previous episodes, I've played many different games with all sorts of different guests. This one is going to be a fun game of two truths and one lie. So, Andy, I'm going to tell you three things about nuclear energy, and you'll have to guess which statement is the lie. Let's see how this goes. So, round one. Over 450 nuclear power reactors are used around the world. Nuclear energy supplies 25% of the world's electricity. Nuclear power plants go through refueling cycles. Which uh, one is the lie? I want to say nuclear energy supplies 25% of the world's electricity. Yes, that's correct. Nuclear energy actually supplies 11% of the world's electricity, a lot lower. So how do nuclear power plants go through refueling cycles? I know you said uh, only for a certain amount of months they can run for. So does that mean that you have to sort of refill them with uranium in order to produce heat again? This is exactly right. So typical reactor operates between 18 and 20 months or it has to refuel. So like your car needs to get gas every three to four days, depending on how often you drive. Our plant can operate 18 months, seven days a week. So basically, it's like you uh, filling your car with gas, 
your car cannot run forever and neither can a power plant. So round two, NASA wants to use nuclear energy for long distance space exploration. Nuclear power plants use a lot of water. It costs $1 billion to build one new reactor for a nuclear power plant. It does not cost a billion dollars to build one nuclear reactor for a power plant. <laughs> That's a lot. It costs a lot more than that. Yes. It actually costs over $6 billion to build one reactor for a nuclear power plant. And I was blown away by this, so I had to include it because I didn't know it was that expensive. I knew that in comparison to other fuel sources like coal, it's very expensive, but not that expensive. So that shocked me. Yeah, coal plant costs about a billion dollars. One coal plant for the current generation of coal, that'll be about a billion dollars. Same thing with a natural gas plant. For a nuclear power plant, we're talking... Now, foreign countries, $6 billion. In the United States, 10 to $12 billion. Round three. Nuclear medicine diagnosis treats many diseases. One out of 10 households and businesses in the United States are powered by nuclear energy. The former Soviet Union was the first to use nuclear energy for electricity. The former Soviet Union was the first to use nuclear energy for electricity. I believe that is a lie. No, that's actually a true statement. The Soviet Union was the first to use nuclear energy. The lie is actually the second one. It's one out of 10 households and businesses in the United States are powered by nuclear energy. It's actually one out of five. So a lot uh, more households use nuclear energy than I thought. The first truth I found really interesting that nuclear medicine diagnosis treats many diseases. Uh, nuclear medicine, it actually treats diseases it's a branch of medicine that uses small amounts of radioactive materials to diagnose and treat different diseases, and techniques used in nuclear medicine include bone scanning. So before we continue discussing nuclear power, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on the website chitchatworld.org to be the first to receive updates and, on giveaways and new episodes. We actually just finished a giveaway, so you'll definitely be the first to hear about that if you subscribe. Now, nuclear power has always been a controversial topic. It's hard to attain expensive, uh, very expensive, as we've discussed, in comparison to other fuels such as coal. And if not handled properly, it can result in mass destruction. So we've talked about many destructions. The one in Fukushima, Japan, happened in 2011. It was terrible. So an earthquake and tsunami, they both uh, happened, and they cut off external power to the reactors and destroyed the reactor's cooling systems. The plant's operating reactor cores reached extremely high temperatures due to overheating because the cooling systems were shut down and radiation was released from the damaged reactors. So Andy, uh, where do you stand on this? Is nuclear power the right electricity source to use? Should we use more of it? Or should we stick to things that are safer like coal or fuel? I'd like to make some comparisons for nuclear power compared to different types of fuel sources. So a nuclear power plant is a big industrial place. What it doesn't do, it doesn't have any carbon emissions. It doesn't have any real emissions at all. We do use a lot of water. That is a fact. That's because we like to keep our systems clean and running efficiently. But if you had to live next to a nuclear or any kind of power plant, what would it be? Do you want to live next to coal that produces coal ash or natural gas that, that burns gas and throws it into the air? I know it's safer for me to live near a nuclear power plant. I know the quality and standards that nuclear power plants are built far exceed those of any fossil plant. In terms of uh, solar power panels or hydro panels, the amount of space required to its one nuclear power plant is significant. Now, right now, solar power is generating about 2% of the power supply 
and nuclear power is generating about 20% of the country's power supply. We can look around at all the new solar power panels that you see, and that's what it takes to do 2%. You find a nuclear power plant, maybe you might find one. There's about 100 of those out there in the country. That's what it takes to generate 20%. Want to have a, a future where there's carbon free electricity or emission free electricity, nuclear power plants got to be in that solution. They generate each plant can operate for at least eight years or more. Like, don't have combustion as part of our process. Never interact with the ozone layer or with air. So, in using coal to produce fuel, obviously, as you've said, it includes combustion, which produces CO2, a gas that is not eco friendly at all and it's damaging to the atmosphere. I totally agree with you. I'm very optimistic and hopeful that an eco-friendly energy source like this could work. So especially with our constantly advancing technology, I believe that we could manage these plants in a safer way, especially because, I mean, we haven't had a destruction in so long. If Am I right? Is the 2011 destruction, was that the last one, the nuclear power destruction in Japan? So just to be clear, there were six units at Fukushima Units one through four were what was considered generation two or generation three reactors. Units five and six were better generation reactors, and they're safe. So what that really means that the current generation of new reactors is safe. That is a all the evidence you need to suggest that like we can withstand another Fukushima. If we had four, those other four reactors were of that generation, they wouldn't have been an accident. And tsunami. And an event would have been a challenge for the operators, absolutely. But based on the technology that we currently have, answers that are currently upcoming, are safer than it's ever been. The newer and reactors that are coming online now in countries and even in the United States are going to generate power for 20 or 80 to 100 years from now. And what kind of safeguards do we have in place to prevent nuclear destruction from happening again? I know we have technologies with the simulations that you run to ensure you know what to do in case a destruction occurs. Is that safeguard that you use to prevent destruction? We have a model called the defense in depth model. Try to do is each layer of defense, we monitor it. Part of that is training, part of that is inspection, part of that is evaluation and surveillance. We also audit those programs using internal auditors and external people who are not employed by our company. They're outside organizations. They come in and they question our processes and follow up to make sure that we're following the rules and meeting our commitment, challenging us to be safer and better in the long run. We also join WANO, which is the World Association of Nuclear Operators. We have, do have simulator training. That's part of the fun stuff. But then there's also fun stuff of just doing our job on a day-to-day basis with high quality and high standards. And we talked about coal and how in comparison to nuclear power plants, it's a lot cheaper, yet it produces CO2. And I know you mentioned solar energy and how not many people use it. If it's cheaper and easier to handle, what's the downfall? Like, How come so many people don't use it to produce electricity if it's cheap like coal and if it's not dangerous and not a threat, as some see nuclear power plants to be? There's a term called energy density. Nuclear power has a much higher energy density than any other fuel type on the planet. For instance, let's just say for your car, you had a gallon of gas in your car and you can go 20 miles per gallon, you know exactly what that means. 
if you had a gallon of nuclear fuel in your car, you can go 760 million miles per gallon. Okay. Now there's some trade-offs. You could drive that car maybe one time <laughs> before you're not healthy, right? Because of nuclear power, we don't have the technologies for to make nuclear power safe for everyone. However, in a car aspect, however, but the energy density of nuclear power is several factors greater than any other energy out there. In terms of solar power, it has one of the lowest energy densities out there, and you require a lot, a lot of space to produce. And it, the space it takes for a nuclear power, uh, for a solar power plant might be four or five baseball fields. And for the equivalent for a nuclear power plant, it'll be much smaller footprint than that. And it'll also operate basically 24 hours a day. That's one of the things, right? From a capacity factor, how much energy is available to be put on the electric grid, nuclear power accounts for about 10% of our capacity. It generates 20% of the electricity. Like you said, one in five people have nuclear power. Why there's such a big disparity is because it's always on and it never turns off. More reliable than any other electric generation in the country. I actually didn't think of that. Obviously, the sun sets, so that means that you're truly relying. All your hands are in the sun. Uh, You know, when it sets, that's it. You're not going to have any more electricity. And obviously, as you said, uh, the energy density, it's lower. With the same amount of solar energy... You can't produce, you can't attain as much electricity, you know, as with nuclear power, its density is much higher and you're able to drive a car for a very long distance in comparison to using solar energy. It's not going to give you as much electricity. So disassembling nuclear power plants, going back to that, does that have anything to do with the refueling cycle? Why would you do so? Because I'm thinking if you can keep like a car, right, if you can keep filling it, with what you need to refill it with, with the uranium, then why would you ever need to disassemble it? Is it because if it becomes a threat or maybe it doesn't pass one of your safety tests, why else would you really disassemble it if you can just refill it? So reactors typically are decommissioned when they are turned off permanently. So that's the term for decommissioning a nuclear reactor. For instance, several plants have been decommissioned in in recent years. That's because for whatever reason, mostly economic, they aren't profitable. So we'll turn them off, and then we'll take them out piece by piece. We'll store them in special locations to different pieces parts. But for refueling, we have to disassemble the reactor every refueling cycle. That's not the same thing as decommissioning, though. It's just like with your car. In order to access certain components in your engine, you got to take stuff off. That's what we got to do with the nuclear power plant when we refuel it. Got to take certain parts off, like the top portions of the engine block and access the insides. So that's really what we mean by disassembling reactor. Okay. So it's just a part of refueling it and then you'll assemble it back and it'll run more. What's the future of nuclear power plants? Do you think that they'll be used more widely? Do you think that 11% will increase and more people will use it or maybe it'll decrease? I don't know. I think globally, the trend is more nuclear power for sure. Some countries, there's current power plants being built, I think in Finland and in the Middle East and the United Emirates, also in China. So that 11% is going to increase. United States, however, they only have, I believe, two power plants under construction and more being decommissioned are coming online. I don't think the power share of nuclear generation is going to go up. Small modular reactor, what's called an SMR reactor, is supposed to be a pressure-containing reactor with all the components built in. It's kind of like a, everything is built into one long tube. It has fuel on the bottom. It has pumps 
that stick out the sides of that vessel and it circulates water and then even generates steam all coming out. Current technology of reactors have that vessel in the middle, but they have piping sticking out, they have pressure vessels, steam generators and pumps and loops, a lot more components, a lot more piping, a lot more safety, a lot more cost essentially. So we want to get the small modular reactors out there built so they're self-contained. They put them together, then they take them apart, then they reassemble them on site. And uh, what that would do is make it much easier to um, reactors. Got to make them a little bit smaller than we have them right now. It's a different way of thinking of nuclear power than we have in the past, but it's going to be the future. That's the way the industry is going. There's no one really in the process of starting to build a traditional reactor that we have right now. Analogy would be you have a, a car battery, which is a big 12-volt battery, weighs about 40 pounds. You compare it to having a AA battery. And if you want more power, you get more batteries. It's just a different way of viewing how to generate power. The difference also try to simplify the design. By making each power plant smaller, self-contained, you have less other components that you have to build and or maintain. All those increase the cost of a power plant. Traditional reactor may cost anywhere between six to ten million or billion dollars to build. A small module reactor may actually cost less than I don't know, I've never seen mm-hmm. one built, but the idea is that it costs significantly less because there's a lot less components to, to put. So the future basically involves a more simpler model that hopefully is cheaper and produces just as much energy, if not more, like swapping out a double A. Right with a different kind of battery that produces more electricity. But it's still considered nuclear power, this new way. That's right. But all these new technologies are orders of magnitude safer. Right? We're talking about, you know, the equivalent of driving a nineteen fifty Chevy versus a twenty twenty Volkswagen, whatever the safest car is there is right now. So new standards, new models, new risk models, new simulations. The new generation of reactors can operate probably 10,000 years and never experience a reactor, uh, an accident, right? That's based on the current risk model. Andy, I appreciate your time on the Chit Chatting and Questioning the World podcast. And it was interesting to have discussed the fascinating aspects of nuclear power with you, especially because you work directly with nuclear power plants each day. And thank you for satisfying the curiosity of our listeners by being a guest on this episode. All right. Thank you. And if you like these kinds of scientific phenomena episodes, make sure to check out the most recent episode, Manipulating Our Brain. It was recorded with Edward Boyden, the pioneer of optogenetics. Uh, This is a technology that can expand the brain, and it's called Manipulating Our Brain, if you want to check that out. You can also subscribe to this podcast on our website, chitchatworld.org, to be the first to receive updates on giveaways and new episodes. Until next month's episode, stay curious. (laughs) 